Well, sisters, at this time, if you turn to uh, John chapter 21, our reading and our text is uh, John 21, verses 1 through 19. We'll just be looking at uh, verses kind of 1 through 14, 1 through 15 this, this morning. And what this is, it's, it begins, it says that after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And, and this is the third time. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself since he was raised from the dead. The first time uh, happened the very night that he was raised. The, the, the day that he was raised from the dead, that night he came into where the disciples and some of the women, uh, they were staying and they were there, the do- locked doors because of the fear of the Jews. And he came right to the walls and um, stood in their midst and pronounced his peace, his shalom, upon them. And then he also said, um, he, he also uh, said, as, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So that's the first. Eight days later, Jesus comes again, and this time, um, Thomas, who was not there the first time, but has been doubting every, everything that's been told to him, uh, this time Thomas is there, and he appears before him, and he tells Thomas to go ahead and put his hands and his fingers into the holes in his hands, etc. And one of the things that I, I never realized, and, and this is why part of the reason I bring it up, is that, that's a very key and critical thing that Jesus is doing. And, and it's not just for doubting Thomas, right? Because Thomas has all these witnesses that are telling him that we have seen the risen Christ. We have seen him. We have spoken with him. And what's happening, brothers and sisters, in in this text, uh, when it it speaks about Thomas and when Jesus is speaking to Thomas, he's not just speaking to Thomas. He's speaking to all of us. And what he's telling us is that the witnesses that we have received, the eyewitness accounts that we have received, that have come down from the, through the apostles, through the, the disciples, and those that knew Jesus at that time, we can depend on them. Jesus is rebuking Thomas because of all these people that have testified, they have seen him, and he says, I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what you've seen. I don't care. I'm not going to believe it unless I see him myself. And so Jesus says, You've, you believe because you have seen But Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. And that's us. We can depend on this good word that we are given um, through the Holy Spirit. So, uh, our reading begins. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, 
it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he, had, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was, re was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Thus ends our reading. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, again, having read your holy, infallible, and inspired word, but yet a word that we cannot understand. We cannot the fruit of it, the blessing of it, the goodness of it can only be opened up in us by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to your word, that you would be with my mouth, that you bring together the thoughts and meditations of my heart in such a way that it is pleasing to you. But, Lord, we pray that by the unction of your Holy Spirit, that you'd be with each one here present, that you'd give them exactly the measure and portion it is that they need. Father, uphold us by your word and spirit. Strengthen, encourage, and bless your people. And for those that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, have mercy, Lord. Open their hearts and turn them that they might know you while it is yet daytime. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen. About three weeks ago, uh, for a New Year's meditation, I spoke at our congregation on Matthew 24, verses 42 through 46. And Matthew 24, if you're aware of that, is Jesus prophesying before he goes to the cross. And, and, and it's, it's a very fulsome prophecy and, and, and pretty dark, right? It, it speaks about end times. It, it speaks about the times between when he'll ascend into heaven and when he comes again speaks of the times of just before he comes again and, and how it will look. And it speaks about nation versus nation. It speaks about wars and rumors of wars. It speaks of offenses and betrayals, persecutions, famines, natural disasters. Um, and, and brothers and sisters, if you look around in the world today, we see so many of those things. Right? In 2024, we look at the, the, the conflict that's going on in Israel which in some ways is already almost done, but in other ways, and we hope and pray this is not so, but it seems like it's just beginning because more and more of the nations in the Middle East are getting involved and more and more of the nations in, in, in the Middle East are getting very upset and getting very angry and, and more angry at Israel than they already were. In Ukraine, same thing. You see that war continuing to go on and it's also spreading to Europe. And many of the people in Europe and many of the, uh, I, I saw that there are different reports from different nations where, where their military people are telling their politicians, we need to get ready, we need to be ready because when they get done with their Ukraine, they're not going to stop. 
And brothers and sisters, of course, China is out there pushing hard on all the borders, whether it's economic or whether it's military, because they are like the other big dog out there that really wants more than what they have. And, and of course, in this nation, which is, I think, most grievous to many of us, um, we have a presidential election, which has gotten to be almost unrecognizable to many of us who have been around for a while. And what we see during this presidential election year is just this huge conflict and division between people. In fact, one of the things that it says in Matthew 24 is that, that lawlessness will rise and the love of many will grow cold. And that's actually what you see we're experiencing in this country, a country that was once a country united. Most of us were in this country believing that, that God was true and that the word of God is, has all authority. But that is no longer the case. And so the, the, the love of, of many has grown cold. And that's what you feel and sense in this nation. So the point being is, is that when you look at all that, and you look at all these things, all the situations, all the conditions are in place for Jesus to come again, which is a time that can be quite frightening. But yet, Jesus gives his people this assurance. He tells them to watch, therefore. Be awake, be ready. Don't hide your head in the sand. Don't be enjoying your best life now so much that you're not thinking about what's coming. Keep your eyes open. Don't be afraid. I, I mean, it's an easy thing to do, right? If, if we look up and we see things we don't like and it bothers us, well, we think to ourselves, well, I'll just won't look at them and then I won't be bothered. But that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, be awake, be alert, be watching. He also says, be prepared. Get yourself ready. Be prepared. Build yourself up in the word of God, in the truth of God, in the spirit of God, you know, in meditation of the word of God. Don the armor of the Lord. And then finally he says this, and this is the, just real comfort to, to me. As the servants of the Lord, be faithful in giving food to the household of God. The one who is giving food to the household of God is blessed, because this is what he says next. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So be watchful, be prepared, and blessed is the servant that is giving food to the household of God. And blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And so the point is, brothers and sisters, that that if we are doing what God calls us to do in Christ, if we are doing what our master desires from us when he comes, you have nothing to fear. I know that we live in troubled times. I know that we live in turbulent times. I know it's tumultuous and, and, and many of these things, if we, if we narrow our vision down and just look at those things, it's hard to even, it's hard to even go to sleep sometimes thinking about the things that we're seeing. But the word of God says, listen, if you do what I'm calling you to do, if you are faithful servants in the house of the Lord, giving food to the household of God, you have nothing to fear. Blessed is that servant. So that, what that means, brothers and sisters, and, and, and the word of God upholds this whole thing. 
this whole idea of feeding the household of God, all of us are called to that. that that's not just the work of, of pastors and teachers and elders. That is the work of every Christian. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Every saint, every child of God, male and female, when Jesus converts you, when he brings you into his kingdom, he says, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. That goes to every child of God in Christ. That involves you in the work of the ministry. To give comfort to others through word, through action, through deeds. To, to give food to the hungry. To give a drink to those who are thirsty. To give clothing to those who are naked. And you do all these things in, in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are doing them faithfully, whatever's happening in the world, you have nothing to fear. But that brings us, how do we do that? How do we do that? Because, you know, one of the, one of the great problems of the church, and I believe that, that this text is actually given to address that, one of the great problems of the church is that we don't know how to do these things. All too often we feel like, well, that's somebody else's job. I can't do it. I'm not adequate. Or there's other people who are trying to do it, but they don't know what they're doing. And so the blessing is not there. And, and that's what's actually happening in, our, in, our, in John chapter 21. What we find here, brothers and sisters, is a story about Jesus refining his, his disciples, his apostles, before he ascends into heaven. He's tweaking them. He's getting them right. He's getting them in the place that they need to be because they're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. In fact, as I was studying this, one of the things that's really almost kind of startling is this was not an easy time for the disciples. We would think that after three years of, of being with Jesus and then seeing him die on the cross, then to see him raised from the dead, with our own eyes, we would think, that's amazing, that, that's the high point. We would be so filled with faith and joy. But when you study the Gospels, you find that it was not so. Excuse me. You find that it was not so. This is actually a very difficult time for the disciples. And if you, if you drill down, you'll find out why. It's, it's pretty simple to understand. For three years, Jesus had been like every day with his disciples. They went everywhere together. They ate together. They drank together. They traveled together. And yes, they went through different uh, stressful things together, right? There were times that Jesus rebuked them. But they were with the most amazing human being that has ever walked on the face of this planet, and they were with him every day. And I am convinced that's one of the reasons that John, in his gospel, says, he, 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 he says again and again, this comes up, um, he'll refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, why does he do that? Is it because he thinks that, that he's more special than the other disciples? Is it because he thinks that, you know, I was kind of set aside and I was special. I was in the apple of Jesus' eye. The rest of the, these guys, he was okay with them, but he loved me. 
No. The Apostle John is speaking from his own heart, from his own mind. He's speaking from his own experience, and he's telling us what he himself experienced, and I believe that all the disciples would have said the same. I was loved. When they were with Jesus day in and day out, they knew, they were with this this man who was so special, so amazing, so wonderful, and they saw things that they never, ever even dreamed of, of, of thinking that they would see, and they saw them, but more than anything, they felt his love. They experienced the greatness of his love day after day after day. And so when Jesus is, is resurrected, he's different. And, and the Bible, and, and, and I think this is, is purposely done, I think he told the apostles, you must not describe what I look like. And I only say that because they said that he looked different, but they don't tell us how. You even sense it in our own text. In verse 12, uh, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? And then it says, they knew that it was the Lord. That's a strange, those two statements next to each other are very strange. None dare ask him, well, why would you ask him if you knew who he was? The reason is, is when they're looking at him, they don't see exactly the same person. He's in this, he's in this new creation body. Now, what does that look like? And maybe it was even shrouded in a sense. In other words, there's, you know, if you think about like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, In some way, maybe Jesus shrouded the glory of his new body, his resurrected body, in such a way that they could actually look upon him. We don't know exactly, but he looked different. But more than that, brothers and sisters, he acted different in this way. Before he was with them, hour after hour, day after day, but now he's not. Now he pops in, Peace be unto you, my peace I bestow upon you, my shalom. He speaks to them, he spends a little bit of time with them, and then he's gone, right? They see him that that first night uh, of the resurrection. They don't see him again for eight more days. Now, now we know, if you put all the Gospels and the the book of Acts together, that he appeared at least ten times. And one time in the book of Acts it says that, he appeared to a, a, a group of 500 people at one time. So, so it wasn't just the disciples that he appeared to. Um, so he, he was doing different things, but what was he doing? Why was he doing this? Why was it so disturbing to the disciples? Well, brothers and sisters, what he's doing is he's preparing. He's preparing them. Because pretty soon he's going to ascend into heaven and he's not going to be with them. He's not going to be present in his human flesh with them anymore. So he's preparing them for that moment. And so that's what's happening in our text. He's preparing them for that moment. But there's more preparation that needs to happen. And so what we see, brothers and sisters, in in this chapter is that the Holy Spirit reveals that there are two preconditions that have to be fulfilled in God's people before we can be those faithful servants who give food to the household of God. First of all, we need to be emptied, and second of all, we need to be filled. 
And this morning we're mostly looking at the first part. We have to be emptied of any confidence in the flesh. Before Christians can become effective in feeding the household of God, we must first get rid of any confidence in this flesh. And this is what we see in verses uh, 1 through 15. And what I wanted us to, to, to do is I wanted to, to uh, start at verse 15 for a moment. And, and at verse 15, then you can see, he asked a specific, uh, kind of a strange question. He said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, he's going to ask Peter two more times, do you love me? But he will not say this again, more than these. But why does he say it on this first one? Why do you, Simon Peter, or, or Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who are these? Well, these are the other disciples. Do, do you love me more than these disciples? These other disciples? And, and that's, and, and you want to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself, Why? Why does he ask that question? Why is, he, why is he looking at Peter in front of all these other disciples and saying, do you love me more than these guys do? It seems like kind of a strange question. And it is. But it has to do with the problem that he's dealing with, with Peter. And there's one other thing, brothers and sisters, as we, we get into this text, what we're going to find is that, is that the... Uh, what we find is that when you look at this story, it really feels it really feels like Peter is made to look very foolish. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into it a moment. Why would John do that? Why would John make his friend and his brother in the Lord, Peter, look foolish. And, and there's several reasons, and one of them has to do with the Apostle John is writing his gospel after all the other gospels were written. In fact, John writes his gospel when most of the apostles are already dead. Most of them have already died as uh, being persecuted and as a sacrifice in the name of Jesus Christ. They have been persecuted and killed for the sake of the gospel, including Peter. So why does John write this story, and why does it make, take this significant place, the last chapter, where it seems like he's kind of getting down on Peter? And, and the reason is, brothers and sisters, is because John, who has been working in the church 50 or 60 years by this time, it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that what Peter is, is, is going through in chapter 21 is a universal problem. It's a universal problem of the church. It's a universal problem to Christians. We all have this issue. We all have the problem that Peter's dealing with in this, in, in this story. He's a broken person. And Jesus is revealing it, and he's revealing his brokenness in such a way that he can restore him and heal him. And the whole idea is, is that the Holy Spirit is instructing John, this is a problem in our churches, and you've seen it. And it's a problem in our churches. That we have too much confidence in the flesh. We have too much confidence in our money, in our wisdom, in our knowledge. 
in our understanding of the world. And when you try to do, when you try to do ministry in, in the confidence of your human flesh, not trusting in the word of God and trusting in Jesus and his spirit, you're not going to get fruit. I hope that many of you are like myself. For years, I asked the same question. Lord, I want to be more effective in sharing the gospel because I know that's what you're calling me to do. Not just as a preacher, but as a Christian. I've said it to other congregations, I've said it to our, our congregation many times too, You'd be amazed at how many preachers tell, will tell you in a heartbeat that it's very simple to come on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon and preach to a congregation of Christians that want and that are sitting there because they desire to be there because they want to be eating and drinking of the, of the Word of God. And those same ministers who will find that simple to do will have a hard time talking to their neighbor about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I assume that this is also true about many of you. That talking to other Christians about Christ is one thing, but talking to those who are not Christians is entirely a different thing. But that is actually what we're being called to do. Now, how do we do that? So, let's look at our text. And in these first 14 verses, uh, particularly, brothers and sisters, we see at least three different events, three different things that help us to understand and to see um, the problem that Peter is dealing with. The first one we see in verse 3. Simon, Peter, right, they're all up. Jesus has told them to go to Galilee and to wait. And so we don't know how long they're waiting. The Bible does not tell us. It does not tell us if it's two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, right? Because there's a 40-day span between the time that he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. And so he appeared to them the first night. He appeared to them the eighth night. Now, we don't know how long it's been. So there's no doubt that Peter and, and the other disciples, they're up in Galilee, which is, the, which is home to them. And, and they're sitting by the Sea of Galilee, and they're waiting every day, and they're praying, and they're talking about things, but Jesus hasn't come, and Jesus hasn't come. And finally, Peter's just had it, right? He's, he's tired of sitting around and doing nothing. He's a fisherman. He's strong, and so are the rest of these, young, these guys. Most of them are in their 20s. And they're active people. And, and so Peter says, I'm going fishing. And, and brothers and sisters, one of the things that, that you find is that when you study the Word of God, when you study the story of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ, that one of the, one of the reports, I believe it's in Luke, in Luke he, he told him, he says, he says, when you return, you're going to deny me, but when you return, he says, I want you to strengthen your brethren. And Jesus was always preaching and teaching and, and calling upon his disciples to, to be of one heart, to be of one mind. And, and again, he says that to us as the church, too. Our unity is our strength. Our unity is our strength. Our love for one another in the name of Jesus Christ is our strength. But here we see Simon Peter 
And, and, and you can kind of put the whole picture together. It seems like Simon was a, a, maybe a couple of years older. He's married. We're going to find out in this story that he's a very strong guy. And he seems to be kind of a natural leader, at least at some level. And, but what he's doing here, brothers and sisters, is still wrong because he's not asking them. He's not sitting down as in a company of equals and saying, look, you guys want to go fishing or something? He just says, I don't care. He stands up, I'm going fishing. He doesn't really care what they're doing. He's not looking out for them. He's not thinking about what they're doing. He doesn't care about what they're doing. I'm going fishing. And obviously the idea being is if somebody wants to go with me, they may. But whether you do or don't, I don't care. I'm going fishing. And right away we see that, that Peter's got this spirit in him that something's not right and we know what's not right. From what we understand, Jesus has not spoken specifically to Peter since Peter denied him. He's already seen them a couple of times, but we have no sense that he actually spoke to Peter individually. And so Peter is still laboring under his shame and his humiliation because what he did and what happened in that denial, brothers and sisters, absolutely shattered him. And that just does not go away. That lives with you. And when we're living in guilt, when we're living in fear, when we're living in this, in this humiliation, we don't think right. And that's what we see with Peter here. I'm going fishing. He's not thinking about the Lord. He's not thinking about the other disciples. He's just frustrated. And, I'm going fishing. But we also see why he's so important, too. Because whether he cares about what the other guys do or don't do, six of them say, we're going with you, right? We're on that, right? So we see that Peter has that leadership, and that's why he's important. He's such an important person, too. Is he is a leader among these men, even if he's misleading. So the next thing we see is, so they go out, and, and they went out, and they immediately got into the boat, and that night, it says, they caught nothing. And, and brothers and sisters, this... One of the cool things about the Bible is that the more that you study it, the more that you read it, the more, and, and I forget who said it, but I just read a quote that said that understanding the Bible is a lot about understanding the symbols in the Bible. And symbols are like pictures. Sometimes they're like, a, you know, the rod of, of Aaron, etc. But, but there's pictures. This is a snapshot. Brothers and sisters, this is a snapshot of the ministry Without Christ, without the Spirit of Christ, this is a picture of the ministry in our own power. They went out with those nets, and they threw that net, we don't even know, dozens and dozens, probably even a couple hundred times. Those nets are heavy. I'll, be, I'll admit it. I, I'm ADD. I, I, I'm not a good fisherman at all, okay? Because if I don't catch anything in about... 30 minutes, I'm about ready to be done, okay? I, I don't like, I can't patiently do this again and again. Well, these disciples, this was their living, this is what they did. But still, two hours passes, three hours passes, four hours passes, they're throwing and throwing and throwing. They're working hard. Nothing. That's a snapshot. That's the picture of the ministry when we are not listening to the words of God and doing what he calls us to do in the spirit that he calls us to do. We come up with nothing. Jesus had promised to make them fishers of men. 
And here we see they're catching nothing. But our Lord is gracious. The morning had now come, it says, and uh, Jesus stood, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He said to them, children, do you have any fish? And I don't like that translation because the word fish there, there's many words for fish in the Greek. This is not one of them. Most of the translations translate it as food. And do you have any food? Which is a very strange question to ask, right? Which is why I bring it up. Do you have any food? It's not bread that this, this word refers to, but it's food other than bread that you eat with bread. Do you have any food? And, and again, I believe that that question actually is going into the hearts of the, uh, is designed to go into the hearts of these people. If you went back to John chapter 4, you find out Jesus is heading north with his disciples out of Jerusalem. They're going up to Galilee, they're going through Samaria, and they're tired, they're hungry. They stop at the well of Jacob. Jesus stays. They go into town, into Sychar, to get some food. And, and Jesus stays and ends up talking to the Samaritan woman. A little while later, the, the disciples come back with food, and they say, teacher, eat. And he says, no. I have food that, to eat that you don't know of. And they're, like, looking at each other, trying to figure that out. What, 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 what's he talking about? And then he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that is part of what's going on in this text. When he says, children, do you have any food? He's asking them, do you know what you're doing? Because Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what the will of the Father was for him. He knew what the desire of the Father was for him. He knew what he had to do every moment of every day. He knew what he had to do. He knew what his mission was. He was clear on his mission. He understood exactly what he was here to do. And he's asking them, in a sense, the same thing. Do you have any food? Do you have any idea of what you're doing? Because if you look earlier in chapter 20, he had told them, he had, he had said, even as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Are you acting like sent men right now? Are you what are you guys doing? Do you even know? They answer very abruptly, no, which is exactly, I mean, a lot of guys probably didn't even answer, right? After fishing all night and catching nothing, and some says, do you have any food? It's like, no, okay, we have no food. But li listen to what our Lord does then. He says, uh, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find, and, and, and again, our scripture, my, in the New King James, it says the same thing, you will find some. In the, that actually should be in italics, because it doesn't say some, it says you will find. Cast, and you will find. Seek, and you will find. Throw that net on the other side of the boat. There's no argument, there's no discussion, they don't know who's talking to them, but they throw the net on the other side of the boat, and immediately, the net is filled. They cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? They've just been throwing that net. They've actually got the net on this side of the boat. So 15 feet away, we've been fishing all night, and you're going to tell us, take this net and throw it on the other side of the boat, and somehow we're going to catch fish. But they did it 
And immediately, it was full. When Simon, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. And again, I don't like this translation. I don't like the translation of New King James either, because it says, for in New King James, it says that, um, that for he had removed it. And here it says, for he had stripped for work. That's not what it says. It's very simple. It's very, like one word in the, in the Greek. And it's this, he was naked. That's what it actually says. He was naked. Right? And so our translators try to be moralistic sometimes, and they should not do that. There are times that they should just let it be what it is. Because the message is in the nakedness. Not in the explanation of why he was naked. He was naked. And that is designed there. Brothers and sisters, this is, this, these are spiritual words for a spiritual message to a spiritual people. He was naked. That's telling us his whole problem right now. His problem goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. They sin, and the first thing they saw is, we're naked. And then they try to clothe themselves, and it does not work. Right? The whole Bible is about man being naked in sin and being clothed by Christ. But yet, what it's telling us right at the center of this text is that Peter is naked. And why? I mean, he's probably wearing just a tiny little loincloth. It's night. It's hot. He's working like a rented mule. Right? So, we, don't, we, don't, we can understand, but, but the, the Spirit of God is telling us the real problem. He's naked. And then it says he puts on his own robe, his own garment. And once you understand what that means, then you understand the whole passage. This is what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to live out of his own works. He's trying to live out of his own passion. He's trying to live out of his own strength. But the result is, it's just nakedness or his own clothes, which are not going to work. The thing that grabbed me about this text a while back is that when I was reading this, and I'd never seen this before, noticed it before, rather, it's, it's always been there, but I'd never noticed before that, that Peter throws on his coat, throws himself into the sea, and the whole idea is he's going to get to Jesus first, right? Because he loves Jesus so much. He's going to abandon his brethren, right? Jesus said, when you return, strengthen your brethren. You got, you got a whole load of fish here. This is a very heavy load of fish. Those men could have used your help to get to the shore, but not Peter. He's abandoning everybody because he's going to show Jesus how much he loves them. Oh, Jesus, I love you, man. I, I, my fervency for you has not died at all. I'm, I'm going to show you how much I love you. He jumps into the water, and he's off. But look at what happens. Is there any mention about what he says to the Lord when he's with him by himself? Is there any, does Jesus even talk to him? And my sense is no. So all this fervency and all this love is just misguided. He abandons his brothers. He abandons the men that he brought out to go fishing. Now they've got the fish. It's Jesus, I'm out of here. 
That's a problem. But there's one more thing, brothers and sisters. The third thing we find is that they get to the shore, all the, the rest of the guys get there with the fish, and Jesus already has a fire of coals, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight with the rest of it. But there's fish on that, on that fire, there's bread on that fire. But then when they come in, Jesus says, bring some, and the word some is there, Bring some of the fish. And the idea being is, I've, I've started cooking some food for you, and I've, I've got some good food for you, but you might need some more of that fish that you got. So bring up some fish, and we'll, we'll cook them up. But look what Peter does. Look at Peter's response. And, and this is where I saw something that I'd never seen before about Peter. Simon Peter went up, and he dragged, verse 11, uh, So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Simon Peter, again, I'm going to show the Lord how much I love him, how obedient and how fervent I am for him. And we see him running up on the deck and on that boat. And this net that seven of them could not bring into the boat by themselves for the weight of it, He grabs this net by himself, and I'm figuring this thing has to be a minimum of 250 pounds. Because you're talking 153 large fish, plus the weight of the net itself. So it's probably more like 300 plus pounds. Peter grabs this thing, and in his zeal and in his strength, he drags it all the way, he drags it onto the shore by himself. Maybe we can understand a little bit of what Jesus saw in him when he first saw him and said, Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, stone or rock. This guy's strong. He's a mighty man in many ways. But brothers and sisters, he's all messed up. He's all broken. This is why Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? You see, brothers and sisters, I believe it's in Matthew. In the Matthew story where you read about the denial of Jesus, he said, Jesus gave them a quote from Zechariah chapter 13. He said, um, strike the shepherd and, and the sheep will flee. He said, you will all be made to forsake me tonight. And Peter stood up to his face. He says, even if all are made to forsake you, I will never be made to forsake you. And just a few hours later, after the third time of saying, I don't know the man, cursing and swearing, he catches Jesus' eye. And that moment, he was a shattered man. He thought he was so strong 
He thought he had everything he needed. He loved Jesus so much. And even if all these are made to forsake you, I will never forsake you. He thought he had it all together. And what he's trying to do, brothers and sisters, at this time, and and I'm not even sure that he understood consciously what he was doing. But he's trying to make up for his shame by showing the Lord the greatness of his love, his obedience, his fervency for him. But here's what he doesn't understand at the moment. He has made it all about him. Not him as in Jesus, but him as in Peter. Peter is trying to make up for his total humiliation with works of pride. He's trying to earn back the love of Jesus. He's trying to work his way back into a a good relationship with Christ. This is why Jesus asked him, son of Jonah, or son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these is supposed to grab Peter. It's supposed to remind him of what he said. Even if all of them forsake you, I will never be made to forsake you. Until this moment, Peter does not really understand what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus became nothing. Brothers and sisters, he became nothing. He submitted himself before all humanity. He submitted himself to every foolish person and every ruler, ungodly and evil ruler. He submitted himself and became nothing. He submitted, right? Because you've got to think that for Jesus, what was the, the most difficult thing is that as a righteous man, to be stood in front of the world, look at him. He's wicked. He's evil. He's on that cross because of his evilness, because of his sin. And at best, at best, they might have said, he's weak. At best, they would have said about Jesus, well, maybe he didn't do all the things that they said he did, but look at his weakness. Our Lord, brothers and sisters, is humble. And what the whole word of God is telling us is that we must be like John the Baptist, who in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he must increase and I must decrease. You see, the problem for Peter and for all of us is the same. As long as we retain some part of our human identity, what makes me me, what makes me special, you know, that thing that makes me special, I'm going to use that for the ministry. It doesn't work. Here's the reason why. Because there is nothing, when you come to a sinner, when you come to your neighbor, when you come to somebody that you're going to share the the good news of Jesus Christ with, there is nothing that you have that they need. 
There is nothing in you that they need. They need what only Jesus can give. But how can they see Jesus in you? As long as, long as they can see your brains, your strength, your zeal. How can they see Jesus in you until you get smaller? That's why we have to be emptied. I hope and pray that as pastors and elders, I know, I, I can tell you honestly, for myself too, I've been asking myself this question for a long time now, and I, I keep working and praying and asking God to, to make me more effective in the ministry. And, it, and the only way it's going to happen, if others could see Christ in you, and the only way they can see Christ in you is when you get small enough that they can see him. That they can see his mercy, his love, his compassion, his goodness. I'm convinced that that's a great problem in our churches. It's a great problem in us. We think we have the good news, we believe in Jesus, we go to church, we do these things, these things, these things, and it becomes part of our identity, what we do. Instead of being small and not thinking anything of ourselves, but rather thinking of that person right there and also thinking of our Lord who wants this person, whoever they are, to see Jesus Christ, to see the gospel, to see the good news of salvation, to see the only answer that will heal them. That happens when we get small, when they can't see Simon's strength, when they can't see Simon Peter's zeal, when they can't see his force and his power and the greatness of his love, then they can see the greatness of our Lord's love. They can see his humility. I am gentle and lowly. I am humble. Jesus didn't just say those things. He did those things. He who had all glory, all power, all riches gave him all up. He could have been born in a great house. He could have, he could have easily convinced the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, all these people to come onto his side. Simple, like that. But what did he do? He went to the poor, the downcast the disenfranchised, the ones who were set apart. And he came to them and told them about the love of God, the compassion of God, the goodness of God, the sweetness and the power of God. And they saw it in him. And that's the only way, brothers and sisters, until we get emptied of ourselves, and get filled with what we'll see tonight, the love of Jesus Christ.
We have to be filled with his love, which is a special kind of love, and we'll see that tonight. Until we're filled with that love, we'll be, we'll be ineffective. Do you have any food? No, we're still walking around in circles. We've got the Bible, we've got Jesus, we've got the gospel, we've got the preaching. But how do I let go of me? It takes courage, brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, gives us courage to begin to let go of those things that make me so special. To let it go. Because in the kingdom of God, it means nothing. Literally nothing. In the kingdom of God, shining the face of Christ is everything. Amen. Father, once again, we come before you this morning hour and we thank you for your word, your spirit, your truth, and you pray, we pray, Father, too, that you would take these simple and inadequate words, but that you, through your Holy Spirit, would do things that we're just, it's not possible for me as a pastor to do or, or for each of these individuals here to do for themselves. You bring your word home into our hearts. You're the one who convicts us of the truth of them. You are the one who, who strengthens us and, and gives us the courage to, to, to let go of our strengths, to embrace our weaknesses, and to embrace the love and the power and the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we might share him with others and not ourselves. Father, bless this congregation. Bless all your people, wherever they may be. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen.